Welcome to the Life Atelier podcast. I'm Emma Lavelle and I'm your host. And today it's Sunday morning and it's been raining and I'm actually quite glad about that because it's been really sunny recently and I <laughs> and <laughs> and I've been working in the garden, which if you've seen the garden on Instagram, you'll know I use that term extremely loosely and generously. It's more like a kind of um, wasteland that I'm slowly gaining control over from my front door outwards. That's the that's the approach I've taken. And um, and yeah, and I realised today it was raining and I, I went outside and I thought, oh, I don't have to work in the garden. <laughs> and I remembered why I used to love rainy days so much when I was a kid, because my friends in Spain were always just mystified about why do you like the rain? And I realized, yeah, I have this association with when it's raining, you don't have to do anything and you can you can stay inside and read a book and you don't have to feel guilty. So there you go. That tells you something about my mindset, even as a, uh, as a child and a teenager, <laughs> that I needed an excuse to not do anything. But yes, now I am a grown-up and I can choose to stay inside and read a book all day if I want to. But today I'm not doing that. I'm going to a brocante, which is like a flea market. And it's actually my first flea market here. And uh, I'm hoping to pick up some beautiful cups for my kitchen and my, my cups of coffee. So that to one side, Sunday plans. I hope you've got lovely Sunday plans too. Today I want to talk about impossible goals and what you can achieve in 10 minutes a day. And I'm going to start with a bit of a story about my dog. So if you're not into dogs, do bear with me because it's relevant here. Um, I actually have a lot of coaching lessons and stories from my dog, from Rita. And this is one of them. So if you don't know Rita, Rita is a, a pit bull type dog. She's an American Staffordshire Terrier. And she's also reactive. So already in, in my part of the world, when you have this kind of dog, people are quite nervous. Many, many people have told me they're scared of them. I used to be because I'd seen bits and pieces on the news and they generally use a photograph of this kind of dog whenever something happens. And, and I'd heard all kinds of myths about them. And <clears throat> when I adopted my first dog, Rosie, she was American Stafford with Boxer and I was really nervous and I thought, my God, what am I getting myself into? And I adopted her when she was uh, five, five weeks old. She was born in the shelter and so she was far too young to leave her mother, but they, they don't have space. So as soon as she ate solid food, they called us and we picked her up, my ex-partner at the time. And I fell in love and I realised that these dogs are, yes, they're incredibly strong. <laughs> They, they are ridiculous. They love humans. And, and I just fell in love with the breed. And the more I learned about how um, stigmatized these dogs are and how much they suffer around the world, not in all countries. There are countries, the Netherlands, um, Mexico, they're, they're just normal dogs. They're family dogs. But, but in my part of the world, yes, there's a lot of stigma. Then I adopted dog number two, Rita, after Rosie died. And again, I adopted her at, she was five weeks old. She wasn't with her mother. She had been abandoned on the side of the road and somebody heard her, a woman heard her crying in a petrol station and she had a broken leg. And I think she must've been two or three weeks old when they found her. 
So she came to us when she was five weeks old and we did everything the same as the first dog. So if anyone's got children, <laughs> you'll know why this is a problem. And I did the same thing. I took her to the dog park. I took her with me everywhere. She was around um, other dogs. I thought I was socializing her perfectly. And actually she became very reactive. And because of the type of dog that she is, we already have problems with, with how people respond to her. And I was already very, very nervous because she's a very strong dog. So the reactivity can cause a lot of problems. And for several years, I had the idea, she's three years old now, I had the idea that I could never really have a normal life with her. I would always have to be on edge, uh, you know, scanning the horizon, looking for other dogs, and that one day she might attack somebody. And, and that's a lot of stress, actually, um, especially when you, you know, well, you see a lot of dogs everywhere. So a few, <laughs> there's Rita contributing. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I found this online dog trainer and they have a training program that is specifically for reactive dogs. And it's just 10 minutes a day. So and in fact, the training sessions, you don't even have to do them every day. It's about five times, five times a week is perfect. If you can do more, amazing. And the training sessions are between five and 10 minutes long. And I started to watch these, these tutorials and I realized, oh my God, this is like coaching humans. And, and there are so many similarities. So for example, the first thing that happened is they explain why dogs are reactive. And as you go through that process, and it's very simple, there's, it's either a lack of socialization, something traumatic happens, or it's their tendency. They're a type of dog that's, that's a little bit anxious, like sheep dogs or herding dogs. Okay, there's a lot more dog stuff in this than I'd anticipated, but still, bear with me. <laughs> so what happened when I saw that was I, I just felt myself take a breath out and I started to see her as just a normal dog, not some kind of marked crazy dog because of the type of dog she is. Now, why is this similar for us? Well, it's very linked to our identity. So you may have, I talk about this a lot, but it's, it's not just about your culture in terms of your societal culture or your, the culture of uh, your industry, but also your family. If you were called, you know, the clever one or the silly one or the, you know, I mean, there's so many family names. I don't really like to go through them because I think it's it's not helpful to, to reinforce them. Uh, but if you had that identity when you were younger, just in the same way that Rita has got this identity of the scary dog, then you can carry that with you. And, and if someone tells you, actually, it's just a normal way to respond to a certain experience, you can start to just expand out a little bit and you can start to understand that actually, okay, I'm normal and my body has responded to something exactly as it was supposed to. And from there, we can start to work and we can start to focus on your new identity. And there's a really lovely, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but there's, um, I literally saw five minutes of it. Uh, it was a YouTube video with Peter Crone, the mind architect. And he said, one of the things he does with his clients is when you hear like any statement that you hear that's critical, for example, you're such an idiot. 
you know, when you, you do something and, well, <laughs> as soon as I said that, I remembered getting my car stuck on a column in a uh, multi-level car story, car park. Uh, and of course, my response in my brain was, you're such an idiot. So he says, take that and turn it into a question. You're such an idiot. And from that point, you can start to investigate, okay, maybe I am an idiot in this situation, but it's not my identity. Or you'll realize, actually, no, this is a voice that's just come from conditioning, from my identity, from the past. So once we have this idea of, okay, this was our identity, and now we're creating this new identity, we can start to look at the techniques that we're using to build that new identity. Now, if I come back to this dog training course, the reactivity course, I had heard bits and pieces that I've picked up, such as uh, scatter feeding is good for dogs. So scatter feeding is like you throw food on the floor and then you, the dog sniffs and they look for it. What I've learned now from actually doing this course focused on modifying behavior, a specific type of behavior to change the identity of Rita from a reactive dog to a calm and relaxed and confident dog is that actually the point of scatter feeding, there's two things. The first is that the dog is inhaling and they're sniffing. And this has the same impact that our body does when we do deep breathing and it calms the nervous system. Dogs that aren't reactive do this automatically. So it's like a stress response. When there's a stressful situation, they start to do this sniffing and then they relax their nervous system. And it's the same with us. So if you think about yourself, when you're a baby, when you're a child, you know how to breathe. But I've had the experience when I went to my first ever yoga class and we had to breathe, I realized that I couldn't breathe deeply. I had very shallow breath. I was breathing from my chest almost because I had gradually become more and more this identity of this anxious workaholic that's always go, 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 go. And just breathing, like I was so excited by it. I called my mum when I came out of the class and I said, I don't know how to breathe. <laughs> Which, bless her, she was very um, lovely as always about that. Yes, darling. Okay, well, that's wonderful. So, so yeah, you, you know, it's really basic stuff. Now, it's basic, but we don't do it. We don't do it. That's the thing. It's so important to do it. Now, the second reason for this scatter, scatter feeding with dogs is also that they learn... Reactive dogs learn to have their head down rather than having confrontational head up and looking, well, you know, we might say looking for trouble. So if you relate that to yourself and think about your body language, when you're in a stressful situation, so I think about like when I was working, um, I remember working in a cocktail bar and I must have been 21 or so, 21, 22. I'm not a tall person. And on a Friday night, the bar was full of massive <laughs> Mancunian men because this was in Didsbury in Manchester and they were all built like rugby players and they were massive and I came up to maybe even their armpits and I remember physically feeling extremely unsafe. Not necessarily that I thought they were dangerous but you know they were drinking and they could elbow me and knock me over by accident. <laughs> so my body language was pretty closed and scanning around and very, very alert. Now, when I think about me when I'm relaxed, when I'm coaching or when I'm with my friends, you know, sitting in a cafe or sitting outside, my shoulders are relaxed, 
Sometimes I'm gazing into the distance while I think about what I say and I don't feel like, okay, I have to stare in this direction. I have to check behind me. So it's the same thing. So I'm, I'm now doing the same activity with her, but I know what the result that I want is. So I'm doing it differently. Okay. And, and this is where I want to think about, I'm going to give you three ideas. I was just going to give you two homeworks, but um, <laughs> old habits die hard. So the first is, if you think about an impossible goal, what's an impossible goal that you have? Well, it might be something that for other people doesn't feel impossible. So for, <laughs> for me, that's been rest. It has been learning to actually actively rest, to not spend my Sundays doing the work for my business that I didn't have time to do in the week or my new busy work working on the cottage because I'm planning on returning to Spain full time um, and using the Normandy cottage for holidays, to spend time with family. And to do that, I need to do a lot of stuff. So what have I done? Brilliant. I've replaced my workaholism with houseaholism. That's not a phrase, I don't think. But it's the same behavior. I'm repeating the same behavior and I'm just filling one busy, um, how can I say, busy behavior loop with another. So now I can catch that and I can see, okay, <laughs> let's just pause. Let's just interrupt this. So for you, your impossible goal, it might be learning a language, might be setting up your business, it might be learning to rest, it might be, um, it might be renovating a house. If your conditioning, if your natural response is to throw yourself at it and do everything in one go until it's done and then burn out probably, that is something your challenge is to slow this down so that you can just do 10 minutes a day. If you have the other problem and your body's in fight, flight, freeze, and you can't even get started, then your job is to put in 10 minutes a day to start the ball, ball room, <laughs> to start the ball room, to start the ball rolling, to get things moving, okay? Or, you know, your impossible goal might be ballroom dancing, in which case, fair enough, you can use start the ball rolling, ballroom rolling. Um, Yes, I need my coffee. It's just in front of me, but I don't want to drink it because it's really annoying if you listen to me drinking coffee. Okay, so with your impossible goal, if you can put in just 10 minutes a day, or if you will only let yourself put in 10 minutes a day, we need to think about a couple of things. The first is, what is your return on time invested? Now, this is a concept that I started to think about very, very seriously, working through a workshop with Vicky Louise. Uh, I have major girl crush on her. I think she's amazing. And what that has meant is I've started to look at how I'm spending my time during the day and what is the investment? What is the return on investment in that? Vicky Louise calls it thinking of yourself as a time investor instead of a time spender. So some of the examples of that are if, I, uh, if I'm connecting with people on Instagram versus Facebook. Now, I've always been very, very, very against Facebook, but in the spirit of experimentation, I decided to see, okay, what happens? If I set the alarm on my phone for 10 minutes and I do 10 minutes of connecting on Facebook versus 10 minutes on Instagram, what's the return on investment, on time investment? Now, I can tell you that I have got five 
calls as part of my meeting people project, my virtual cup of tea project, I've got five calls, no, seven, seven calls lined up to connect with people in real life this week through 10 minutes of connecting on Facebook. 10 minutes on Instagram, I actually probably spend seven of those scrolling before remembering why I'm in the Instagram uh, app. So what I'm learning is actually, in terms of my impossible goal, which is rest and my 15 hour week, it's not necessarily the best investment of my time to be on Instagram. The same with, you know, if you think about food, um, there are all kinds of different diets, there are different health routines that you can follow. What's worked well for me is actually I do intermittent fasting and I have two meals a day and that way one meal that I prep, I have it again the next day for lunch because when I was having breakfast and I was spending ages making healthy porridge and a smoothie, I would get a sugar crash about half an hour later so it wasn't good for me, it wasn't good for my body. Now I'm not saying intermittent fasting is good for everyone, there's a lot of arguments that it doesn't work for people, particularly if you don't have a good relationship with food. But for me, with my experimenting, it's a really good return on time invested to get those systems set up in the beginning. So think about your impossible goal, think about return on time invested, and now start to think about your second exercise is to think about how could you best achieve it or how could you best serve that goal in 10 minutes a day. And for me, that 10 minutes in terms of my rest, I'm actually investing 10 minutes stopping at the end of my day. Because what happens to me is as my day starts, I start brilliantly. I do like amazing. 30 minutes I use to be magnetic. I do 30 minute meditation when I wake up and journaling. Then I do about 15, 20 minutes of yoga with the Deliciously Ella app. Then I do 30 minutes outside with Rita. So we do the scatter feeding, her reactivity, and I have my coffee outside. Now, that's all brilliant. Then I work, la la la, everything's great. From about 3 p.m., it all goes pear-shaped. <laughs> I have usually created a to-do list from nowhere that didn't need to happen. I've got distracted and I've started to do things in the garden and around the house. So for me, with this goal of rest, scheduling a reminder on my phone for about 5 p.m. to just stop, go outside and have a cup of tea outside helps me to reset and it helps me to get rest into the evening. So for you, that 10 minutes might be connecting with people in Facebook groups. It might be journaling. It might be making a phone call. Just think about what that is. And then the third thing to do is just review what you're doing, how you're spending your time. You can do a time audit, however you like. You could just notice it. Where are you using other people's methods that don't necessarily work for you? Now, for me, that was about, I realized uh, I was very, very obsessed with, I still am a little bit, but uh, deep work, Cal Newport, and this idea that we can only have three to four hours of flow a day, and that you should get those three to four hours and protect them fiercely. Now, the only way for me right now, with the, with the way my life is set up, to have three uninterrupted hours means getting up at 5 a.m. If I get up at 5 a.m., I don't get eight hours sleep. If I don't get eight hours sleep, then, you see, I even stumbled on saying it. If I don't get eight hours sleep, I get twitchy eye. 
And then I start to be not a very good coach. Okay, and that is not, it doesn't support my objectives at all. So what I started to do was see if I could get 30 uninterrupted minutes throughout my day. And it blew me away. I can do a lot in 30 minutes. And it makes me much more conscious of how I'm spending my time. And again, this is due also to working through Vicky Louise's material and, and becoming aware of time. But actually having 30 minutes interspersed throughout my day where I have uninterrupted focus time, that works for me much better than the three to four hours of Cal Newport's deep work. For you, it'll be something else. So all I would ask you to do this week is write down something you'd love to achieve, a 10 minute consistent action step that you can take every day towards it, and commit to reviewing what you're already doing and seeing if it works for you or if you're actually just following what somebody else wants to follow. And in the spirit of my uh, my impossible project, which the second impossible project, which is to have 100 conversations with real people in the next 30 days, if you do fancy joining me, you can, I'll put a link in this episode or you can find it on my website, but I've set up my uh, calendar so that you can just schedule a 30 minute virtual cup of tea and we can connect. And if you're curious about coaching and how it can help you, we can talk about that, but we don't have to. We can just talk about your goals, who you are, and I'm just really enjoying meeting people. So, so there you go. I will see you next week and let me know how you get on.